Good morning again, everyone. Uh, before we dive into the message today, I want to invite Miss Kim to come on up. She thought I forgot. Come on up, Miss Kim. I wanted her, yeah, give it up for Kim. Give it up. She's awesome. She's one of our leaders here. Um, I wanted to just ask her a couple of questions about this proverb a day thing because it's, um, I think, I just think it's really uh, important um, that we're in the word and especially like, um, I mean, Proverbs 1 talks about like, you know, like, uh, like wisdom, right? Like it's so important. It keeps us from calamity, you know, that kind of thing. And so um, just, Miss Kim, uh, have you ever read through Proverbs before? Yes. You have. And what, what is your general like takeaway from it? Um, well, the whole book or just what we've yeah. been reading. Yeah. Um, that, you know, God is providing everything that we need to make it through this world. Um, if we listen, if we obey, and if we plug in, like, he guides us through all of it. Yeah, that's really good. What's one thing you're hoping to get out of this Proverb a Day reading this time? A renewed sense of wisdom, because that's what we really were focusing on this week. Um, but how to really use his word each and every day to walk in that wisdom because it requires us to, as you said, slow down, make time, really putting him first before we enter into our day. And I think that's where I struggle, like um, taking time before the day really gets busy. So my goal really is to um, take time before my day gets too busy to understand how I can use his wisdom for that day before the day kind of takes over me. <laughs> That's good. Give it up for her. Thank you, Miss Kim. Like Dylan said, it is not too late. If you haven't started, it's not too late to get started. Um, I timed myself. It literally took three and a half minutes on day one to read the first chapter and a little, a little under four minutes to, to read day two. So it really doesn't take that much time. Um, and... The return, it, I think, is incalculable. So um, get in the word. Let's read Proverbs together. So um, today, uh, so we have been in our Gospel of John series, and we've been walking verse by verse through the Gospel of John. But today we are um, taking a break from that, and we are going to hear from a very special guest, uh, a, a good friend of mine. He's from Nebraska, um, and so... Please give a special warm anchor welcome to Jeff Hasse. Jeff, come on up. It is so good to be with you guys. So good uh, to uh, get to hang out with you and to worship uh, with, uh, with the body of Christ. And so let me get everything all set up here. One moment. There we go. Okay. Um, okay, awesome. My name's Jeff. I'm from Nebraska, like Ryan said, and uh, we are... Uh, missionaries, and we, uh, we serve in uh, the Arab world. And so uh, if you're interested after the service, um, I would love if you would come and uh, visit my table. We have uh, prayer cards and we have stickers. Uh, stickers, we are the Hasi Posse, so that, that you can know how to pronounce our last name. So that's, uh, that's one little, uh, just feel free to grab a sticker, grab a prayer card on your way out. We also have some books and materials uh, about what we do. Let me introduce you to my clan, first of all. 
this is uh, this is my family. Uh, my uh, daughter got married in December. She's the first kid to get married, and so uh, we'll start uh, left to right. So on the left, that is Hope. Uh, she is 15. She's our youngest, so she's the baby, right? If you can tell by that picture, she's spoiled. You can't, but it's there. Um, so she's a freshman in high school, and uh, she goes to school. She's still with us. She will go with us when we go back to the Middle East uh, later this year. The next one in is our daughter, Faye. Uh, she actually is a barber living in the D.C. area, and so I'm so excited. I get to see her uh, today, and I'm going to have uh, dinner with her, and so uh, it's great, Kate, to see her. All right, next is our son, John. Uh, Faye is the oldest. Uh, John is number three. Uh, he is 21, and he is actually going to school in St. Louis. And uh, he is, he's taller than I am, and, you know, I, I just feel like John the Baptist, right? He must increase and I must decrease kind of thing, you know what I'm saying? So that's okay. Uh, next is our daughter, Joy. She is 23. She graduated uh, last year from Evangel University, and her, she and her husband, Blake, are going to be going back to serve in Jordan also as global workers. And uh, Blake is from Florida, so they live in Gainesville. My daughter married Florida man. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, pray for me. No, Blake's a great guy. Uh, it's awesome. I always told my kids, I say, listen, when you're looking for a spouse, find someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. Because when push comes to shove, I want their spouse to follow Jesus more than they're going to follow that desire to, to try to stay. But if you're both following Jesus, you're both chasing after Jesus hard, that's not a problem. So, anyway. Uh, next is me. Next to, is uh, my wife, Mary Beth. Uh, we've been married for 27 and a half years. I know she doesn't look it. I know. She was so young. Uh, but uh, it has been, uh, it's been so great. We grew up in church together, and so young people, be careful. You know, if your parents are in Bible study in a small group with someone and they have kids, I'm just saying, it happens. So uh, far right is our daughter, Grace. Uh, she is uh, going to be 19 here in a couple weeks, and uh, she is in uh, Minneapolis uh, in her first year of college. So if you're keeping a score, that's five kids, five states. So they're all over, they're all spread out. So uh, it is such a blessing. Uh, go to that next one, show that uh, uh, map. Is the map next? Yeah. So this is our neck of the woods where we serve. Uh, we serve with an organization called Live Dead. Uh, if you haven't heard of Live Dead, uh, Live Dead is a movement within uh, AGWM that focuses on uh, planting churches among unreached people groups in multinational, multi-organizational teams. And so what we want to see is we want to see churches planted that are full of local believers. For example, in the country of Oman, there's not a lot of Omani Christians. In fact, there's more Starbucks in Oman than there are Omani Christians. And so what we want to see is we want to see churches in Oman filled with Omani Christians. There, we, there may be churches there that are where there's uh, Americans that are worshiping. There may be churches where there are Indian believers or Filipino believers. We want to see churches with Omani believers planted there, and then to see those churches multiply and spread throughout the area. And we want to see that ha happen throughout the Arab world, so that we have churches filled with local believers, led by local believers, and multiplying with other churches filled with local believers. And it's not just Americans, but in fact, it's, uh, it's a great privilege to be able to serve with uh, brothers and sisters 
from uh, other parts of the world. In fact, uh, where we're going, we're going to be going to Cairo, Egypt, where we will serve on a team that will teach, train, and mentor uh, new workers that are coming to the Arab world what it looks like to live and serve in a Muslim context. And right now, I can tell you uh, the majority of those people that are coming to serve on those teams or to, to, to get training on those teams are not from America. They're from Central America and South America and Europe, and we're also getting interest from Sub-Saharan Africa and China and other parts of Asia. And so uh, if you would pray for us, we want to see God's kingdom raised up. We want to see uh, this global movement. We want to see churches planted and have a church planting movement within the Arab world. Um, and we are just blessed to be able to partner uh, with our brothers and sisters from other parts of the world. Um, if you're interested, go to that next slide. Uh, we, if you're interested in signing up for our newsletter to find out more, to kind of keep track of us, uh, you can sign up. Here's a QR code, or I also have a QR code at our table as well. I'm so glad, I think uh, Pastor Ryan said, that it would be uh, 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 okay if I, if I brought some of my toys to church. Is that okay? So, anyone here like fishing? Yeah. Yeah, I, I prefer fishing. Years and years ago, I uh, used to golf. You know what the problem with golf is? There's just one idiot on the end of the stick if you're having a bad day. You know, if you, a bad day golfing means there's just one guy whose fault it is, right? But if you're fishing, fish ain't biting. If you have a bad day fishing, it's like, you know what? It may not be on me because there's two, there's two parties involved in this whole transaction, right? Where it's... You know, it's okay. And so I just decided, you know what, I'd much rather fish because, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather, I don't know. It, you can take your kids fishing. If you take your kids golfing, you kind of get funny looks. You know what I'm saying? Pushing the, pushing the you know, having your, you know, your toddler with you while you're, while you're on the golf course doesn't really work. You know, one day in Nebraska, uh, uh, Pastor Ryan and I, we were walking down the road and we saw this guy out in the middle of a cornfield and he's standing in a boat, and he's got a fishing pole, and he's just reeling the fishing pole in, and casting it out, and reeling it in. We stood there and watched him for a little while. I'm like, man, uh, I, I said to Ryan, I said, you know, someone ought to tell him he's not going to catch a lot of fish standing out there in the middle of a cornfield with a boat. And Ryan says, yeah, someone should tell him. I said, Ryan, you go tell him. Ryan looks at me and he says, well, Jeff, I'd go tell him. Problem is, I ain't got no boat to go out there and tell him that he's not going to catch any fish. No. Anyway. Anyway, Jesus describes, called us to be fishers of men. When he, when he, when he talked to the disciples and they were fishing, he said, hey, follow after me and I'll make you fishers of men. They didn't have to be fishers of men right that day. They didn't have to go to school or get special training. They just had to spend time with Jesus. Jesus called them to hang out with him and to spend time with him. And that's, that's part of what we do, is that when we, when we visit with people in the Middle East and we talk with people, we just are, are trying to find a way to spend time with them. In fact, it's been our privilege, put that picture of the visit into the homes with that couple. 
we work ourselves to try, we try to get to find a way into people's homes because things happen around food. Anyone else here like food? Yeah, I love to eat. So we, we love to go people's homes and we love to eat. National dish of Jordan is called mansef. Uh, it is uh, either uh, lamb or goat that is uh, cooked all day and then it's served over a yellowed rice with like a sour yogurt sauce on top of it and you eat it with your hands. And it's, uh, it's so good. It's, it's quite filling, so it's sort of like you, you eat it. In fact, there's a saying that you eat lunch and then you take a nap because it's, it's like Thanksgiving-heavy kind of food. And so it just uh, really activates those, uh, I don't know, that makes your, I don't know if it makes your blood sugar spike or whatever, but it's, uh, it's rough. It's rough. Uh, as I said, we're going to be going and serving in Cairo, Egypt. Anyone been to the Middle East, Egypt, Jordan, Israel? Okay. All right, awesome. Cairo. Cairo, uh, it's a huge city. 22 million people. 22 million people. So that's more people than live in the states of New York and Pennsylvania combined. That's in the metro area. So then uh, in the Cairo metro area, it's about 1,300 square miles. So just for reference, the state of Delaware is just under 2,000 square miles. So 22 million people into about two counties of Delaware. And so it is, it is on top, it is people on top of people. And there, there's not green spaces, there's not, you know, undeveloped spaces. It is just, it's just buildings and commercial and roads and uh, very, very narrow streets. Uh, that can sound really overwhelming. It can sound overwhelming to think about 22 million people. But here's the thing that we remind ourselves of. We just have to talk to one. We just have to focus on the one person that we're talking with right there. We have to talk to that one neighbor that God puts on our heart. We have to talk to that one guy at the bread shop that God, God says that we're supposed to pray with. We have to talk to the one taxi driver that we're in the car with. But just focus on one person, one person at a time, and sharing the gospel, being a Christian, being uh, excited about what you do. That's how we serve. That's what we do when we say that we serve. Um, I just, we are always also looking for, um, looking for people to come and serve. We have a, a, a great internship program. So if you knew, know someone who's a, maybe a young adult or maybe even an adult or a, a seasoned adult as well, and uh, maybe something that I say maybe interests you about coming and seeing, we have a range of opportunities for people in the Middle East, and we have a need for all types of skill sets. And so if anything that I say today, maybe stir something for you, come talk to me. I'd love to share with you more about, about ways that you can get connected and get involved. Um, I want to focus today on um, a scripture out of Philippians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2, or I'm also going to have it up on the screen. And it's really focused on, we describe what we do as serving, serving in the Middle East, serving the Arab world, serving among Arab Muslims. That's, that's what we do, and that's what we focus on. So, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a servant. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. 
It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Jesus came from the ultimate background of privilege. He was God. But instead, Jesus set it all aside and he became a what? A servant. He, uh, he, 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 it says that we want to think of ourselves in the same way, to humble ourselves, to let go of our preferences and our privileges, and to embrace that role of a servant. And so we, we try to serve the people living in the Middle East. So today I want to share with you some stories and examples of how we do that. Um, so first of all, uh, we serve people, we serve Muslims, uh, by meeting felt needs. Uh, we've lived in Amman, Jordan for the past three years, and there in Amman, uh, the church that we attended had a community center that they owned, and at the community center, we had the privilege of uh, teaching English there to, to people that would come, usually adults uh, that were at our community center, and they were trying to learn English. I started out in the, uh, we had uh, all levels of teaching English, all the way from very basic beginner up through conversation. And I started out in conversation, but quickly I found that I really liked teaching in the early, early levels of English where they're barely forming sentences. And so it's so much fun to help people that are new to learning English to be able to know the difference between words that sound the same. You know, words like John, if you will, peace, Peace and peace. Now, I know the last one is pronounced peas, all right? But to, an Eng to a new English learner, all three of those words can sound the same. One day when I went to my class, only one of my students showed up. Okay. So I decided, well, let me take the time to uh, get to know my student better and to, just to learn more about him and I found out that he was Palestinian and that his family had come to Jordan in, I think, in 1967, and um, that as a Palestinian, he wasn't a citizen of Jordan. In fact, he could never become a citizen of Jordan. Uh, and so he went to school and he became a doctor, but because he wasn't a citizen, he was limited to only practice medicine in the refugee areas. He couldn't get he, had, he wasn't eligible for the best jobs in, in the government, in the, in the public or private hospitals. His status as, as a refugee limited his future and his options. Now, if he stayed in Jordan, his children would also be limited in the same way. His children were born in Jordan. They would still be labeled as refugees. They would still never have, have a citizenship. They would still have those same limitations. He was studying English in the hopes that he could pass the language exam, and immigrate to Australia because Australia was looking for doctors. So he was studying English to give his family hope for a better future. You see, that day I realized that for my students, learning English wasn't a hobby. It was their way out of a cycle of poverty. So many people in Jordan have told me again and again that their ability to speak English is the number one way for them to get a better job. Now, I, I mean, English is okay, 
I mean, I, I speak English too. I, I'm not, I'm, but here's the, and I, I've learned Arabic. I, I speak Arabic, sort of. And I'm not saying English is better. I'm just saying it's the reality that these people find themselves in. I had another neighbor tell me that he worked for a country that was based out of Saudi Arabia. He was in IT. All of their staff meetings were conducted in English. So he's like, please, just have lunch with me like once a week, just so that we can practice my English so I can get better, so that I can keep this job and advance in the company. So in the same way, another, uh, another young lady on our team wanted to do something for the children in the same neighborhood where this community center was. And so she started an after-school club for girls. And so each week, uh, they would have these girls come in, and there would usually be between 30 to 50 girls. Um, and there were usually about five uh, volunteers uh, helping to lead the club. Each week at this club, it, it was active, shall we say. Uh, these girls are all, were all from Syria, and their families fled to Jordan at the beginning of the uh, Syrian civil war in 2008. And so these girls grew up... Um, on the streets, really rough conditions. Uh, if you can kind of think in your mind, inner city youths, uh, that, you know, kids that tend to live by their fists and their wits, uh, that, are, that are just as prone to fight as, and, as, as anything else. Um, each week at this club, uh, Mary and the other teachers would do a character lesson, they would teach English, do a craft, play games. They couldn't teach the Bible because of government oversight, but uh, they, they wanted to spend time with these girls. And afterwards, uh, the teachers would go in groups of twos and threes, and they would go visit the girls in their homes, where they would have the opportunity to more openly maybe share about what they believe as a Christian, and to pray with the family, and then also just to see the home life. And so many of these girls, their home life is so, so hard. So many hard things that my wife would tell me about uh, when she would come home. And some nights, uh, she'd just come home and weep. Just weep after seeing the, the conditions that these girls live in. It was challenging work. The needs facing these refugee families in Jordan can, and in the rest of the Arab world can seem completely overwhelming. But we're compelled to help them. Jesus commanded us to help the helpless. Let's, let's check it out. Matthew chapter 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Now, you may say to me, hey, you're, you're meeting felt needs by just teaching English. What about all these other needs that you mentioned? Well, it's like, well, that's great. So we want to meet these felt needs by partnering with local believers. And so we serve Muslims by partnering with local Christians. You want to put that second slide up there. Um, we want to absolutely help uh, the, and feed and clothe and care for and visit uh, the, the people that are hurting. Jesus commands us to do that, and we absolutely want to obey that command, but here's what we have to do. 
We want to partner with local believers so that those people, those people in need, get connected with the local body of Christ. In places like Jordan and Egypt, we're actually privileged to have Christians around us. Jordan and Egypt are about 10% traditional Christians, mostly uh, Catholic or uh, Orthodox or Coptic. And so we partner with churches as much as we can to get people connected with other local Christians. There aren't Christians everywhere within the Arab world, but where there is, we want to partner with them as much as possible so that, so that these families see their needs being cared for by local believers, and that doesn't create a dependence on Westerners. We want them connected with local believers, not with us. We want them to come into a community with Christians that are in, those, in that same culture. Uh, in the, for example, with the girls' club, that's in that neighborhood, we partner with a church in that neighborhood for distribution of school supplies and clothing and food and other basic needs that these families have. Another example is that in a town about oh, 40 miles south of Amman, uh, there's a pastor there uh, named uh, Andy and Sandy, we'll call them. That's not their real names. Uh, they have been there for years. Uh, Andy is from Jordan and Sandy is actually from Syria. And so they've pastored a church there for, I don't know, 20 plus years, 30 plus years. And uh, they, they not only care for their congregation, but they also have a community center where they reach out to the Syrian and Iraqi refugee, uh, Muslim refugees that are in their town as well. So that they have women's groups, they have uh, craft groups where they get together, where they have meetings where they talk about the Bible and they have uh, youth, uh, youth clubs. In fact, we've had the privilege in uh, the summer and at Christmas to be able to partner with them and to come alongside and to help run these after-school clubs and programs for kids. And so it is, it's amazing work that they do. They have a, a distribution uh, center where they give out diapers and clothes and books and formula. And have you seen these uh, Operation Shoebox, the Christmas Child Shoebox thing at Christmas time? Yeah, they get those. And so I've seen the other end of that where, you know, I've put the box in the mail and now I've seen pastors where they take these boxes and they distribute it to kids and they use it as a way to tell them, hey, God cares about you. God sent his son as a gift. Here's a gift for you so that you know God loves you. And so we've helped them in their warehouse with the literal heavy lifting, the literal heavy lifting of managing all of the inventory that they have. They're so well-loved. We, we drove around with them for a week. And man, we didn't go anywhere in that town where there wasn't someone honking. Honking and waving because they knew. They knew who they were. Andy and Sandy have said that there's over 600 refugee families that have been impacted by their work. And so uh, it is just a privilege to see people like this. But here's the thing. Pastor Andy's health is fading. Uh, he, is, uh, he has fought cancer off twice. And uh, God, has, God has used that as a way for him, uh, to, him to witness and to be in the hospital and to pray for people and to, to share with people how he's not afraid to die and how they are just astounded at that. But if you just pray, because here's the thing. We want to see other local believers rise up to take their place. I, don't, I really don't think a Westerner could do what they do. I think that it has to be a, a Jordanian or a Lebanese or a Syrian believer that comes in and takes their place in that community to continue the work. And so if you'd pray for Andy and Sandy, pray for Pastor Andy's health, and then just pray for other people to, to come and to, to fill in that gap. 
So we want to serve these brothers and sisters. We want to serve these Christians, these local believers that we find to provide with them, to partner with them and provide for them what they would lack. We want to multiply their effort. We want to give and provide skill or resources or finances or just people to come alongside to help them in the work that they're doing in reaching their communities. And lastly, what we do is we serve Muslims by presenting the gospel to them. It's, it's important. I've saved this for last because it's absolutely the most important. We believe in meeting basic felt needs, and, and we work to do that, and we believe in partnering with other Christians, and we love to do that, but we must seek to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. Uh, maybe some of you have heard the saying, preach the gospel, use words if necessary, and that's attributed to Francis of Assisi, and many Christians use that saying, meaning we don't have to say anything. We just have to live our life as a good Christian moral person and the lost will just see who we are and what we do and they'll know what to do. The problem is, Jesus didn't live that way. The apostles didn't live that way. In fact, Francis of Assisi didn't even live that way. They all preached. They all preached with their words. They all proclaimed. They all pointed to eternity and preached the gospel using their words. So we want to see lost people come to know Jesus and to have hope, but they can't know of that hope unless someone takes a risk and speaks to them about Jesus. In Romans 10, 14, it says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The lost can't hear the gospel if we don't speak the gospel. For the past three years, uh, living in Amman, Jordan, and we've spent a plenty of time in uh, Ubers and taxis and various other public transportation, and shall we say traffic in the Middle East is a little more intense, all right, than, than where I'm from or maybe than, uh, than it is here in Milford. And by intense, I mean there's a lot more cars Right? There's a lot more people, there's a lot more honking, there's a lot more gesturing, all right? <laughs> and there's a lot more waiting. And so we've also found it's a great opportunity to have a conversation with a captive audience. And it usually goes something like this. Hello, how are you? Him. Good, praise the Lord, I'm fine. How are you? Where are you from? Me. I'm from America. Him. Praise the Lord. Are you Muslim or are you Christian? Me. I'm a Christian. Him. Praise the Lord. Uh, you and me, we worship the same God. We are the same. Me. Winking and slapping his knee. Well, praise the Lord, my brother. I'm so glad you believe Jesus is the Son of God. Now, if you don't know, it's incredibly offensive to say to a Muslim that they believe Jesus is the Son of God. And so, uh, my, then I'll say, then he'll usually respond, a, a little bit taken aback, I, I, I didn't mean that, I, I don't believe that, I'm, I'm Muslim. And I said, well then, my brother, we're not the same. And I love you and I respect you, but there are big differences between what we believe. 
And so usually, uh, from there, I always say that's when the conversation starts. That's when the conversation starts. Sometimes the driver would argue back with me. I wish I could say I never argued with him, but I can't. Um, sometimes uh, he would be interested in learning more about Christianity and the differences. And so I would help him get the Bible on his phone or help him get a, a video of a testimony on his phone about uh, a person that became a Christian. Uh, usually, we would talk about the differences between our religions, but a shared desire to live in peace with one another. I would offer to pray for him at my destination, and then we would go, and then I would leave. But every opportunity, we were so thankful for the opportunity to share the gospel with someone who may not have heard otherwise. Now, regardless, uh, you see, our job is to present the message. It's the Holy Spirit's job to draw their hearts, to, to, to help them respond. Other times, God would send people to us that were clearly interested in Christianity and the gospel. Uh, for the past three years, uh, we've, had to, we've been focused on learning Arabic. And so at our center, from day one, we were not allowed to use English at all, ever, in our classrooms. So we started out just being like children where we walk in and they're pointing at toys and telling us what the toy is, and we point back and tell them what the toy is, and then they use pictures, and then we act out actions. It was very fun and humbling and frustrating, uh, but it was a wonderful process. Eventually, we, we got to the point where we could build simple sentences and have conversations and ask questions. And uh, one day, one of our teachers came in this was about six months into our time, and she asked this question. She had been with my daughter, Hope, for two hours, and she came in to with my wife and I, and she says, Hope says I should ask you this question. Why was it so important that Jesus was crucified? And how does that forgive your sins? Well, that's a really good question. Oh, the problem is, I got to answer you with my first grade Arabic, and so... Uh, it's okay, we, we got through. But this wonderful, wonderful believer, this wonderful woman, she's not a believer yet, let's call her Diane. She had obviously been talking with my daughter Hope about this and other Christians and wanted to know and understand more about Christianity. You see, the problem is, for Muslims, uh, it's not considered appropriate to ask questions in Islam. It's not appropriate to, to ask questions that may challenge the status quo. In fact, for some Muslims, um, even knowing that someone else has questions about Islam, that means that that person is already an apostate and needs to be silenced. And so Muslims who are interested in knowing more about Christianity must be careful who, when, and where they ask questions to find out more about Christianity. And here's the thing, we're not Muslims, we're not locals, we're cultural outsiders. And so it was much easier 
for them to ask us questions about Christianity. If they're interested in knowing more, absolutely. If they're curious and finding out more about Christianity, who are you going to ask? You're going to ask Christians. And it's safe for them to ask us those kind of questions. And so our status as foreigners attracts people who already are interested in the gospel. And so we want to just come alongside and to answer questions in a, in a God-honoring way and to continue to draw them and to continue to help them along their journey and on their path into knowing more about the gospel and about Jesus. See, here's the thing. According to one study, 81% of lost people in the world, primarily Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus, 81% don't know one Christian personally. 81% have no one in their life to ask questions about Jesus and Christianity. 81% have never had a Christian come into their home and eat a meal with them. These people may have heard of Jesus. They may have read about Christians on the internet. You know, famous Christians like Donald Trump and Joe Biden and Justin Bieber and Pope John or Pope uh, and, uh, and uh, Beyonce or, or Jay-Z. These are the kind of Christians that they look at and look at their life and see how they live and what they say and what they do. But 81% have no in-person example to see what a Christian does on an everyday basis. We serve Muslims by being available for the 81% to see how we live and what we do and what we say. That is, that's our service. I just, I just want to break it down to you, try to demystify what we do globally. We meet basic felt needs. We partner with local believers wherever possible. And we share the gospel. That's the basic of our service. Now today, my challenge to you is, who do you serve? Who are the people in your life that God has called you to serve. Now let's look at that word, serve. What do servants do? They serve. How do they serve? They serve quietly. They serve invisibly. They serve gently. They lay down their preferences for the preferences of the person that they're serving. They yield their rights and privileges. Now, isn't this what we talked about earlier when we were talking about Jesus? Put that, put that next slide up there. Let's review. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a servant. He lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. Sorry, Jerry. Jesus, the Son who created the world with the Father and the Spirit, he gave up his status and became a humble, selfless servant. He gave up his status so that you and I could have status before the Father. 
Jesus served us. And so this week, I want to challenge you to serve the people around you. What is that going to look like for you? You know, maybe if, you, if you're married, you serve your spouse and don't say anything. All right? If you live with roommates, clean up the dishes that they left in the sink. That drives you crazy. But don't say anything. If you have children, play with them. If you're in a public restroom and you see that other people before you had so much trouble, they were in such a hurry, they couldn't be bothered with putting all the paper into the trash can. Pick it up. If you're walking your dog and you see that someone else didn't have a little doggy doo-doo bag and you see that landmine in the grass, I live in an apartment, I feel this so much. Pick it up. Doesn't that feel demeaning? Yeah, sometimes it does. But if Jesus wasn't ashamed to serve, neither should we. See, Jesus is calling you to a life of service. And it's, it's about serving people, but it's also then about taking the time. I want to challenge you, if there's time, the next step then would be to pray for opportunities for you to share Jesus with people around you. And that could be as simple as saying, hey, how can I pray for you? I've, I don't think I've ever met anyone when I've asked them that they've ever turned down and saying, I don't want you to pray for me. Are you willing to let go of your privileges and your preferences and your pride and your desire and to work to serve the people around you? I mean, can you imagine? Imagine being in a family where the father and the mother and the children serve each other, where they work to say, hey, I don't want to live life just for myself. I want to work to serve people around me and help them be successful. Can you imagine a church where people are here serving joyously together, where they're not thinking about their pride and their kingdoms and their power and their position, but they're just working at serving? Can you imagine the influence that that church could have in a community as the community sees these people that are selfless? I really think that's what God wants. But you see, our pride gets in the way. We don't like it. We don't like serving. It's uncomfortable. But what if the best life God has for you is on the other side of you letting go of what's most dear to you and protecting your position and your image? And what if you chose to just serve? That that is what Jesus is calling you to do. Jesus said that he who seeks after his own life will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, you'll find it. We pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus. Jesus, thank you for giving us the example of what it looks like to be a servant. 
Holy Spirit, please come and help us. Help us to lay down our lives. Help us to give up our privileges and preferences. Help us to lay down our pride for the sake of the gospel so that we can serve the lost and hurting around us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give it up for Jeff? Thanks, Jeff. Worship team, you can come up. Really quickly, as, as, he, was, um, as he was sharing, I just felt like the Holy Spirit reminded me that we are called to do exactly what he does. We're called to do exactly what he does. You might say, oh, Pastor Ryan, I'm not called to go to the Arab world. We're called to do exactly what he does, just in different places. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is the words of Jesus to his disciples before he ascends into heaven, says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people everywhere, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, is where they were from, that area, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We're not called to go to the ends of the earth like Jeff and his family or others like him, but I think we're called to Jerusalem. We're called to where we're at now, and we're called to be his witnesses and to tell people about him. We're called to do the exact same thing, just in a different place. And I I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this, but our brother Brian McDowell is living this right now. He is over in Europe for work. And and he doesn't see it as just a work trip. I've had conversations with him where he sees it as God sent him to share the gospel. And, And he's taking advantage of his opportunity over there. And it's just, it's awesome to see. Brian, thank you for being faithful to the Lord and and his call on your life. We're all called to do that. Just the place that we do it is different. So um, the worship team, what we're going to do right now, we're just going to take a few minutes, just a couple minutes, just to respond to the message. And and I want to encourage you, if you need to pray, pray. If you want to worship, worship. If you need to meditate and just think about the message and and just kind of mull it over, let it wash over you, do that. But let's just, let's not rush through this moment. Don't, nobody leave just yet. We're going to take a few moments and respond. So if you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to stay seated, you can stay seated. But the worship team is going to lead us. Serve, partner, share the gospel. Serve, partner, share the gospel. We're all called to it. But here's the thing. We can't do it under our own power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that. God, my prayer today is that we as a church, we would be hungry for your spirit. We would be hungry for your spirit, that we would be closer to you, but then also that God, we can can have the power that raised, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead in us, working through us to reach people for you. We love you, God. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to um, worship and, and hear your word and just fellowship together. Thank you, God. Be glorified. Be glorified. In Jesus' name. And finally, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen and amen. Thank you for worshiping with us, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Hope you guys have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.